Hey, this is Jinx from Blackville Brides, and this is Iron City Rocks. Hey, this is Joe Grisecki, and you're listening to Iron City Rocks. Welcome to episode 371 of the Iron City Rocks podcast. I'm your host, John, coming to you from the Iron City of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, bringing you the best rock, hard rock, heavy metal, and blues talk on the net. Episode 371, we have three special guests. We have joining us online an iconic uh, member of the Pittsburgh music community, Mr. Joe Grishecki, is here to talk about his new album. We also have from the band Jane Lee Hooker, we have Tracy Hightop, uh, Jane Lee Hooker's band, who's been through Pittsburgh a few times. Um, kind of came onto my radar and I wanted to introduce you guys to the band uh, for those who may have not heard them. And also joining us, uh, kind of an annual guest, Damian Darlington of Britt Floyd. Britt Floyd will be at the Benetton Center uh, this coming weekend, April 12th and 13th, to do two shows at the Benetton Center. But up first we have Joe Grishecki, who, as I mentioned, uh, Pittsburgh icon, has been making great music uh, really as long as probably most of us have been into music. He's got a brand new CD out called More Yesterdays Than Tomorrows, uh, kind of a uh, interesting look at life, uh, fantastic title track, and a really solid album, so we were really glad to have a chance to speak with him. Uh, the album features also a collaboration with Bruce Springsteen. Uh, so I think you're really going to like it. So let's play you a little bit of more yesterday's than tomorrow. We'll get into the interview with Joe Grishecki. Welcome back to Iron City Rocks. After too many years, we have Joe Grishecki on the line. How are you doing, Joe? Great, John. It is How wonderful. I'm doing very, very well. It's wonderful to have you back on the show. Um, you have just released uh, a new CD, More Yesterdays Than Today's, or I'm sorry, Than Tomorrow's. Um, it really, I think, to me, a kind of the high water of, of your songwriting and, and you know, just one man's opinion, but uh, I, I really think these songs really kind of speak uh, to a, a very large demographic, and, and uh, you know, should be commended. Um, can you talk a little bit about the collection of songs? Where you know, where were you at when you wrote these? As far as in your life, and you know, kind of what were the inspiration for some of these? Well, I, you know, it's it's one of those records that you know that uh, takes a little bit of living to write. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, get a certain age, and you realize that you know the road's not going to go on forever, and there, there's an end in sight, and your time is is finite. Mm-hmm. You know, you only have so many days and so many hours left, and not to be morbid, but sure, no. <laughs> and, you, and then you get up, you know, you get up every day and try to make the best of what what what's what's there in front of you, uh, and uh, you know, so. Uh, 
rock and roll was the music of our generation. Mm. Uh, I think uh, a lot of people my age sort of start losing track of that and, uh, you know, just fall back on, on listening to the same old 30 songs or, you know, or safe way over to country or, uh, right. uh, you know, even, even the blues thing. And, and, you know, forget that, that there's a lot of guys out there that are making really, really good music, uh, you know, and have been doing it for years. With the, you know, I'll get off my soapbox for a moment. But that, but I saw the story. I wanted to do a really rock and roll record, real good rock and roll record. And uh, my son, um, I started out doing a blues record, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. My, my son listened. Uh, I was messing with a bunch of covers, and somewhere along the line, uh, you know, it's a combination of losing uh, interest in it because you know. So many guys uh, have done blues records. Sure. And uh, and I, I wasn't really writing good songs. And I was, I, I guess I was just, I, I don't know, I was just cruising. And my my son came up to me uh, uh, about a year ago and said, hey, how's that new record coming along? I said, well, that's good. I'm almost done with it. And he said, and to quote him, he said, I got news for you. It sucks. I said, why? <laughs> he said, he, he said, I expect more out of you than this. So, you know, I just, your, your songwriting's terrible on this. You better pick it up. And uh, I guess I must have actually wrote the, the, the two singles, uh, the one we did with Bruce Springsteen on there, come out a while back. I'll about to put it on this record, too. Uh, that's what makes us great. And More Yesterdays and Tomorrow's, I think, was the first song I wrote. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I write, I always try to uh, except for what I was doing that time I try to you know write from a point of view have a, 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 a like I'm writing a little book or a novel or, or a movie and and I have a usually have a thread running through my uh, my, my narrative sometimes it's obvious, more obvious than than others but it always makes sense to me and uh, once I latched on to more yesterdays and tomorrow's as the title song the rest of the record sort of was very easy to write down I, I got on a, a real kick and mm-hmm. uh, wrote about seven or eight songs in a very short period of time that I was really happy with and, and my son got involved in the production and uh, you know I, I've been doing work with Rick Wachowski at his studio L for a long time but we sure. switched uh we switched up a little bit. We got our song and Brian Coleman involved in the mixing and the production, and my son involved in arranging and production. And uh, Ricky, that he did all three, and and then we we remastered it uh, in a different place, and you know tried a few different things. But and uh, you know I'm real happy with it. It's a real rock and roll record. Uh, it sounds great. You know, really good guitar playing on it. Sure. Yeah, it's 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 a great point you bring up about you know the album having a thread because you know in the world of of you know a lot of artists anymore releasing singles you know or they albums feel like they're glued together from you know eighteen months of of different things um, you know but to have a theme through the album without being you know you don't want to say it's necessarily a concept album or something like that. But you right, do right. you do get a sense of, of and I think that's what I enjoyed about this particular album is that you know this is you know an album that you know speaks to the fact that you've lived this music and and it, you lived it for a while and you know it, it proves that rock and roll doesn't need to be a twenty five year old uh, man's music necessarily you know you, your generation my generation have had rock and roll literally from the time we were you know old enough to listen to popular music. Um, right, and the blues guys and the jazz guys, they played it as long as they could, you know, mm-hmm. as they could go, mm-hmm. as far as they could go with it. So that's that, that's definitely my music, and, uh, you know, I'd be, I'd be uh, lying to myself if I said, uh, you know, it wasn't. But, uh, you, you know, in the point you bring up, when I grew up in Pittsburgh, there was a lot of independent AM stations Right. That used to try to out obscure each other. So I grew up in a very, very rich musical uh, time, sure. and, and then there was bands playing everywhere, and everybody played soul and and R and B and blues and rock and roll. 
and uh, you know chess and stacks and you know everything in between. So so you know uh, and even even some country. So so we had uh, you know we had that uh, great uh, palette of, of mm-hmm. musical stuff that we listened to when we were kids, and, and I absorbed a lot of it. And I think. You know, I let some some of the different a couple of people say, "Well, you know, you never heard you play songs like this." Well, they're always part of my DNA. Maybe I mm-hmm. never recorded them, but uh, it was just natural. Yeah, and it, you can you know, like the, the it, rev it up for like Eddie Cochran and mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. You know. Yeah, and it, it feels very genuine, and you know, to me, it kind of reminds me of those, some of those great albums of. You know, the you know, the, especially the you know the height of the kind of the classic rock era where the album feels very holistic. You know, it doesn't feel. You know, you listen to two three songs, uh, they're great on their own, but I think they're better as a collection. Um, you know, and the album draws you to the next track. You know, and I really enjoy. Well, that. I'm very happy you said that because we 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 you know we worked really hard. Mm-hmm. My son and I compiling these songs and sequencing mm-hmm. them. And uh, you know we threw we threw a bunch of stuff out that just didn't quite fit with yeah. what we were doing, and we wanted to present present the whole thing yeah. as a, a cohesive piece. So yeah. I'm glad you glad yeah, you feel that way. Yeah, you know, I, I kind of my own opinion that sequencing is kind of a dying art. You know, especially in the in the era of you know everyone's got you know you get the CD even if you get the CD you transfer it to your phone and you can get halfway through a song and jump to the next and I think it sometimes it ruins certain albums I mean there are certain types of music where that's fine um, but you know you don't listen to a you know a Bob Dylan album in pieces or you know I mean they have the greatest hits but that's not what Bob Dylan's about you know? <laughs> well you know people are in a hurry nowadays you know with yeah. the gratification but uh, you know, yeah. this is a bit of a throwback record and uh, uh, <laughs> and, and uh, you know vinyl's coming back and I guess people are paying more attention some some people are paying more attention to ways I don't because I have a kid with some of my producers that you know, they spent days mixing a particular song I, I said you know, you're, people are going to listen to it on earbuds or or, yeah. or, or cell phones, and, and it it doesn't matter what it sounds like. It's not going to sound good. Period. Yeah. You know, no just, matter what you do, but <laughs> we took we took our time with this and made sure the mixes were good, and you know, uh, you know, the, it, it fit as a whole thing. So it's it's definitely not an ADD, <laughs> right? You know, generation record. Yeah, and you're right. I mean, so many albums are you compressed to hell and back. Um, when you, you get them as a download, it, it's it's great to hear that. Um, now, could we talk just a little? Um, you know, obviously, as an artist, you know, at this stage of your career, um, you know, it's not a cheap thing to make an album. You mentioned mixing and mastering and things like that. Um, what, is there something? I mean, do you feel as a songwriter, at some point, you 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 need to write an album just to kind of validate what you do, or uh, you know, what kind of drives you to say, okay, I did an album two years ago, it's time to do another one again. Is it, does it become habit, or is it, you know? No, it's, not, it's, it's, it's what I do. It's, it's, it's my creative thing. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, not that I'm in their league, but nobody mm-hmm. asked for class of what. Why, why do you paint? You sure. Know, why still painting? You know, uh, you know it's, it's, it's just what I do. And, uh, you know, I, I enjoy the process of, mm-hmm. uh, of making a, a cohesive piece. In fact, I think this is our seventh. Pat and the Iron City Housewriter stuff. This is our seventeenth studio album. Right. You know, so uh, you know, I've been pretty consistent. Uh, I, I, if, if I just like, I enjoy the whole process. You know, it's uh, and it takes a while, and it's you know, obviously, you know, it's uh, it's expensive to do on your own sure. these days. But uh, you know, for me, it's just yeah, you know, I'm one of those guys that. You know, I'm glad uh, the people are still coming to see me play because not I'd be in my basement with a couple of my friends playing. I don't know yeah. those guys. I just I just love music and I love love playing it. And uh, to me, the the, the craft of, of making a record is mm-hmm. like probably the epitome of that particular art form for me. Mm-hmm. Do you um, enjoy the process more now? I mean, obviously, you know, with the house rockers, you guys had had. You know some dealings with with major record labels. Is the process more enjoyable 
to you at this stage of your career because you don't have you know the suits so to speak kind of breathing down your neck and you can be more of an artist you know Picasso can paint what Picasso wants to paint or is it you know can you compare that at all to what it was well, like back? you know we've, we've done records that you know we've had we had the record company breathing down our neck and mm-hmm. you know in retrospect I would have done things a lot differently mm-hmm. uh, you know uh, you know maybe f- probably wouldn't have done certain albums period uh, but uh, they were kind of few and far between so, so basically you know through the whole 90s and and uh, you know up, up up to the present day I've, I've just recorded what I wanted to hear myself yeah uh, you know I, I never sold a lot of records I never got on radio that much so, mm-hmm. so you know I'm creating music that, that I want to hear uh, yeah, and that's personalized. And that's you know, in a way, you know, as strange as it sounds, somewhat of a luxury. You know, you look at you know some of the bands that maybe had the huge commercial success that are kind of relegated now. If they do go to the expense of doing a new album, no one wants to hear it, um, so they end up kind of regurgitating or rearranging their greatest hits over and over again. Um, right, you know, right, right. You know, so uh, you, know you guys seem played and playing the same songs they played in 1982. You know? Yeah, uh, yeah. And yeah. Pe- unfortunately, that's what people want to hear a lot of times. But uh, you know, yeah. we, that that doesn't suit us. I'm yeah. not saying there's anything wrong with that, but it it doesn't suit suit, mm-hmm. suit me and, and and the guys that, that that I play with. You know, we we like to like to think we're all, we're moving ahead for forward you know work in progress like you said mm-hmm. on the record still the best days are still ahead not behind yeah now now just w- one last question you, you mentioned working with Johnny um, who's you know multi-instrumentalist himself how, how much energy does that you know bring to the band being able to work you know with you know your son and, and that kind of father-son experience does that make it pretty special for you Oh yeah, yeah, and and plus Johnny brings the youth thing. He brings the, the you know the youthful passion of rock and mm-hmm. roll that makes you, you know that I can remember when he he first he's always wanted to play play music and he always wanted to, to perform with me. I've, I've been very lucky to have him, with mm-hmm. me. and uh, you know it wasn't like saying, "Hey kids, you got to pick up this guitar." I mean, he he just gravitated to it, and. and uh, you know, I can remember one time the, the sort of when he was old enough to to, to play with the, our band on a, on a semi-permanent basis because it started out well. It, you know, he was just learning his instruments, one or two songs, then three or four, then you know maybe five or six. And he's he's playing with us full time. And I remember one night looking over him and thinking, you know, that's why I started playing music in the first place. Yeah. he was so passionate about it, so excited about it, and uh, you know, it's it's easy to lose that passion and excitement, you know, yeah. and, and just uh, you know, you, you you have so many gigs over so many years, but it's you know, I look over at him every night, and he's he's giving it 110 percent, and uh, you know, so the old guy's got to keep up with him. Yeah, it's it's, it's fun. You, it's fun. Yeah, I can imagine. It's it's like, you know, when your kid, you know, finally learns to hit the golf ball, the baseball, whatever, you know, further than you, you it kind of pushes you as a dad. So that that's a wonderful thing. And uh, uh, also, uh, congratulations. I saw you were, uh, March 31st was uh, named Joe Grosheki Day in the city of Pittsburgh, so a well-deserved. Yeah, how about that? That's something. Yeah. Local. Very, very honored. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a special night. You guys had a great show at the Hard Rock. Um com for the, the upcoming tour dates, correct? Right. You know, as far as where you're at. Out. We're on Twitter, we're on, you know, we're on Facebook, uh, Instagram. Uh, you know, you can, you can download the, the record on all the usual suspects, iTunes, uh, mm. Spotify, Amazon. But if you want a physical copy, you know, people who still want physical copies, we're going to have uh, vinyl soon, as soon as it arrives. <laughs> it's, it's been a a long, slow trip getting vinyl, but uh, we have mm-hmm. CDs right now. You can pre-order vinyl at JoeBrzezicki.com. 
Awesome. Joe, well, it's been a pleasure uh, talking with you today, and I wish you all the best. Again, more yesterdays than tomorrow's. Um, you know, it can't miss album. It's fantastic stuff. So uh, congratulations on Thank a fantastic you. album. Thank you. Two of the biggest names in rock unite. Godsmack. Same stage. Same night. Shine down. August 28th, Key Bank Pavilion. Shine down. Godsmack. Tickets are on sale now at LiveNation.com. Part of the Bordis and Bordis concert series. All right, again, more yesterdays than tomorrow's from Joe Gershecki and the House Rockers available now. As he mentions in the interview, it'll be available in vinyl. It's available in physical media. You can download it. So I uh, wholly heartedly encourage you to pick that up. And also... Uh, congratulations again for uh, March 31st being named uh, Pittsburgh's, uh, naming it uh, Joe Gershek in the House Rockers Day. Uh, Bill Peduto was on hand to present that to Joe at his show at the uh, Hard Rock Cafe at the release party. So, well-earned honor for Joe. All right, we're going to turn our attention now to a band out of New York City, uh, kind of a uh, underground band at the moment, but I think one that might be headed for some really great things. We are speaking to uh, Tracy Hightop of the band Jane Lee Hooker, who have been through Pittsburgh a few times to do some shows. They've done some dates all over the um, United States, actually, and also all over the world, And which is how I discovered them. I was uh, flipping through um, YouTube and ran across uh, a performance they did on Rock Palace, which is a uh, show out of Germany that a lot of great musicians have been on in the past. Leonard Skinner, Joe Bonamassa, uh, just to name a very, very few. Um, and I had a chance to catch their performance. was really, really blown away by the energy. Uh, kind of a blues band, but uh, certainly got a, a bit of a punk spirit to it, in my opinion. So we were really pleased uh, to chance to talk to Tracy about the band. So without further ado, Tracy Hightop of Jane Lee Hooker. I said tonight we only have one question for you. How you doing, Kansas City?
All right, ladies and gentlemen, my pleasure to welcome to Iron City Rocks. We have Tracy Hightop on the line from Jane Lee Hooker. How are you doing today, Tracy? I'm great, John. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely my pleasure. I guess it would be appropriate to not ask you how you're doing. Um, new album, Spiritus, <laughs> out now, um, which is just fantastic. Uh, I listened to it, and I, I wasn't real, real familiar with the band prior to hearing the album, and... You know, it was kind of like, this is a band that does Manish Boy and it live, and, and you've got sort of a Ramones thing going on. It's almost like Muddy Waters joined Joey Ramone. Um, what what was the drive for the band? What was your vision for the sound of the band? Well, you know, basically it was an opportunity for myself and the other lead guitar players, uh, Tina Gorin, mm-hmm. to get together and just um, rip on some guitar solos. It's funny. I was just uh, a couple of days ago listening to one of your your pod uh, podcasts, mm-hmm. um, and you were talking to uh, the guitar player from Foreigner. Oh, okay. And you guys were talking about um, you, you were talking about you know having two guitar p- players in bands, and then sometimes having three. And you talked, of yeah. course, about Skinner and Tina and I are enormous Leonard Skinner fans. So we, <laughs> you know, we really kind of. Um, wanted to take an opportunity just to play guitar together and have a lot of fun and we figured we'd just put a band together so we could do take a lot of solos and um somehow it morphed into just this band that you know I've kind of dreamed of being my entire being in my whole life it just really just happened with very little effort um everything came together perfectly and everything fell into place and you know, the next thing we knew, we we had a we had a rock band that um, you know was exceeding our expectations as far as you know fun and shows and writing and excitement and response. So we got very lucky. Yeah, and it, it seems like you guys have got one of those bands where all the pieces you know work really well together. You know, it you know it's the sum Thank is you. greater than each of the parts. Um, I love the fact that sometimes, you know, in the record and in live, it's like you're both kind of solo at the same time. You don't see that a lot in in music <laughs> anymore, you know, other than you mentioned like Skinner and some of those bands where, you know, you know, usually you got one person just kind of holding down some simple chords and the other person's wailing away. But there are times where you're both going in different directions in my ear at the same time. And uh, it makes it really fun. Um, can I ask... Uh, Thank you. Where you found uh, Dana and, and how... No one else had it, you know, prior to this that she wasn't, you know, kind of an international success. She's phenomenal voice. She truly is in every sense of the word. I've never been in a room with anyone who can sing like her. She plays almost every instrument. Um, and she is an unbelievable lyricist and songwriter. So, again, this is what I, uh, you know, when I say we just got lucky, we mm-hmm. just got lucky. We had been, we had another, uh, singer for a bit mm-hmm. and um, it wasn't working out well and this friend of a friend said to us hey your friends and Jamie Hooker should check out this girl I just saw at this club and it was as simple as that he he got her name and uh, he passed it on to his friend his friend contacted us and uh, I went on Facebook and looked her up and we had one mutual friend and I contacted that, contacted that friend, and I said, "Hey, you know, uh, everyone. This guy said we sh- we have to get in touch with your friend to sing for our band." And you know, within a couple of hours, we connected, and I said, "Hey, can you come down and just you know come sing with the band?" It wasn't even an audition, really. It was just like, "Hey, we're going to be here. Can you come?" And I, I remember I wo- I walked into that practice. I was about ten minutes late. And uh, I opened the door, and she was already in the room, and it had been like she had been opening the door, and we had been in that room for years together already. It was the one of the, it was like a punch of deja vu. So I felt like I had known her all my life, and you know, like it felt like the most normal thing in the world to be walking into the room with her. Um, you know, it just felt very familiar in, in the strangest and most beautiful way. Yeah. And then, of course, you know, we started playing, and she opened up her voice, and we were just you know or that you know the hair stood up on our arms and the back of our necks it was crazy and she still gets that effect out of us i mean sometimes she's so great singing on stage that mm. i will 
stop thinking about everything that I'm doing and I'll be, and I'll catch myself like, Oh yeah, I gotta, I gotta play another chord here somewhere. <laughs> like I, she, she, she captivates me. She captivates all of us still in, in that way. And, uh, you know, we just got, we just got, it doesn't get luckier than that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's a great charisma, you know, sometimes you can have a great singer, but maybe not a great stage persona, but I think you guys have, you know, really got a, a great mix of an entertaining live show, you know, and it, it, yeah, and, that and was, a great friend, you know, on top mm, of it, like, mm. you know, the the band has always been very, very tight, and then, you know, it's always hard to, like, you don't know what the chemistry between people is going to be, but Dana and all of us, we fit together, like, you know, like peanut butter and jelly, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just like, we are, we, all we do is laugh together. We don't even have to use words anymore. Like we, we understand what the other one is thinking. It's really, it's really a beautiful, beautiful thing. We're extremely, extremely lucky. That's, that's great. Now, when you took this collection of songs and decided, you know, it's time to make a record, you guys had had another, it was an independent release prior to this. The, um, I'm sorry. Well, the, we went into the studio and we recorded at, nine covers and one original okay and that was just kind of like we just did it for us it was um you know kind of like a demo just to get gigs and stuff mm -hmm. this is early on and then a friend of the band um sent it to a couple of different blues labels um one of them being alligator and one of them being roof records and um you know, one day I got a call from this German guy, uh, it was Thomas Roof, and he said, you know, uh, I want to tell you that I got your CD, and I've been driving around listening to it for about the last six months, and I'm, I'm planning on coming to New York, to, and I'm going to sign you. And I was, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and we're all New Yorkers, so we were like, um, sure, yeah, yeah bring it whatever on. you say. And and you know he he was true to his word. He he got on a plane and um, and he he came to New York and and we met with him and we liked him and he liked us and and he signed us. And again, you know, just the the, the magic of this band for us, mm. you know, you know, in every way is just it was with just complete a stroke of luck. You yeah. know, a friend sent our CD to somebody that she thought would like it. And um, and then you know the next thing we know we're we're signed to Roof Records and you know they've been in business internationally for 25 years and and they're they're the real deal. So we just again got very luck lucky and um, you know our gratitude is immense in, in, for our great luck and our uh, just everyone who's just been so great to us and you know really followed our spirit and we brought all of this together. Now, how far back do the original songs on, on the Spiritus album go? I mean, are these songs you guys have been playing live for a, a long time, or are these, you know, oh, we got to go into pre-production and come up with, you know, ten songs because we've got a recording deadline coming up in a month? Oh, for Spiritus, for the second album. Yeah, for Spiritus. Some of them, uh, yeah, some of them have been around for a while. Like, for example, later on, I think was the second song that we wrote together as a band um, and we've been playing that one out uh, for at least I'm going to say two years, three years and then the rest of Spiritus uh, I'd say maybe is about a year old and we started incorporating uh, incorporating some of those songs um, on the road when we went out when we went to Europe the last two times we, we sprinkled those into our set so we were actually supporting No B but we were putting in um, at least you know four or five songs from uh, from mm -hmm. Spiritus in there and then one song like we literally wrote we had never played together before um, from beginning to end it was just like a vague idea and right. uh, it's it's the breeze it's the last song on the album and uh, we were like, should we try it? Look, you know, I don't know. We haven't we haven't really ever finished it. <laughs> we don't, you know, we're not exactly sure where it's going. And we just, you know, um, our our producer Matt Giravelli just let the uh, you know the tape roll, and uh, we got it. And we, you know, I love it. It turned out so great. And now we you know, now we played in the center as well. Uh, Tracy, when you go into the studio, you mentioned you know kind of trading off solos with Tina, and, and like I said, you guys are sometimes soloing together. 
do you guys record as a, a band or do you go into control rooms and, and things like that and kind of do the multi-track thing or how do you keep the energy if you do that we record as a band okay um we do very few overdubs we'll try to get a good take of something mm -hmm. and then if there's like a blatant error we you know we, we fix or you know punch in but we did very i don't even know if we punched in there if very few times in mm -hmm. no b and and most of spiritus was just you know live just letting the band rock out live mm -hmm. um and certain songs I think my memory isn't so great but certain songs we'd get a great rhythm track and right. then Tina and I would go into the control room together okay. that, and that's how uh, no actually that's not true we played uh, The Breeze which is like we just had so much fun playing off of each other and knew, none of us you know neither Tina nor I knew what was going to happen next mm -hmm. um, we were just all in, crammed in a control room all together, and we had a we brought Dana in to sing in the control room, so that we just got the energy, and right. it, it just worked. It captured it perfectly. Yeah, Tina and I, we just um, you know, we never talk or think about what we're going to play. We just kind of uh, let it happen, and it, it, it's always fun. That is excellent. Now, as far as you know, being on a label from overseas, you know, European label, and I noticed you guys have like a European tour coming up, and you mentioned a couple. Is would you say the band is breaking more in Europe or in the United States, or do you do you focus on one more than the other, or how do, how do you spread that out? Well, I you know not intentionally. We haven't necessarily intentionally focused on Europe more, but I, our label has you know greater contacts in Europe, and it seems like you know this kind of music is really really going strong in Europe people um, come out doesn't matter what night of the week they really embrace live performance I right. think you know more than I'm seeing in the United States now um, so I without really tr trying or mm. we we have a bigger following certainly in Europe um, and you know a lot more uh, you know, a lot more press, and mm -hmm. um, you know, it's it's just a, just a completely entirely different scene. And we've had, you know, we have the the force of our label helping us in Europe as well. They're great at booking clubs and you know, getting great guarantees. And sure. I I have found that that's been pretty lackluster for us in 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 the U.S. In that it's very hard to get a very competent. Um, booking agent that isn't completely, you know, busy with other acts. It's, yeah. There, you know, it's it's very hard for booking agents to make money. It's very hard for, you know, bands to make money in the U.S. So it kind of trickles down to you. Kind of you end up with people who, um, you know, need to take a lot of bands on, and sure. it's just such a different scene. But. Um, we are preparing for a tour in the summer of the U.S. and we always go out. We will do like, um, you know, like we did Pittsburgh and uh, Cincinnati. We always do quick runs when we can on the weekends and do like three or four shows. And then we should, we'll probably get a good solid six weeks in the U.S. Um, certainly by the end of the, you know, by the end of the summer, How do which you we're really looking forward to. Have you guys looked at, I mean, I know, and I think it's kind of one of those things when you pull back the curtain of the music industry and realize that a lot of times the opening act is paying through their nose to be on high-profile tours. Is that something you guys consider, or is that just not cost-prohibitive, or just something you'd rather you know, not get involved I, in? I, I, I always, you know, we were working with this booking agent, and I think he probably got tired of me calling him saying, hey, listen, can we open up for the Rolling Stones here? <laughs> we'll do it for nothing, you know. I was always, you know, kind of bombarding him with these big ideas that I have. And, mm -hmm. and my point has always been, like, I always dream big. I'm not going to dream small. Sure. <laughs> you know, like, I, I want the big stuff. So I've, I've, it's always been um, our goal to, to kind of 
kind of get an opening act slot mm-hmm. um, on a you know with a with a band that does very well in the U.S. and and maybe kind of start out that way. We would love to do that, and it is kind of cost prohibitive. I mean, you really have to. There's there, there's very little. You come home with very little money, if anything, and you know this label hopefully would be supportive in some way if that were if we were to offer something. But yeah, we're available. If you know anyone, you know we. We would love to um, open up for, you know, I had asked about Buck Cherry, ZZ Top. I mean, mm. any of these bands, we will we'll, we'll sell stuff out in the parking lot to make money to get on those tours. Absolutely. You know, the sad thing in this industry is that so many bands, even, you know, giant bands have to sell stuff in the parking lots to, to pay yeah, the bills. I know. It, it's, it's so it's, true. It's, it's become, you know... You know, I was looking at you know a particular act that puts tickets on sale, and you got the album free with the ticket. And, and I was thinking, you know, where are the days where, you know, it used to be the album was what you were trying to promote. Now you're trying to pr- promote the live performance. You get the album for free with the ticket, but you're paying through your nose for the ticket, and the artist is getting such a small chunk of that by the such time you. Small, I know. You know, it's it's insane. You know, it, it's such a cutthroat business. You know, and I think the days of. You know, expecting someone to pull up in a limousine to a club you're playing at and, you know, whisk you guys off to superstardom is so gone now, unfortunately. That, gone. Um, it, it's it's it was sad. It's completely because, a different era. Yeah, and it is. Because I listened to this, you know, the album, and I think, you know, this is just flat out fantastic music. And, you know, had this been even, oh, you know, thank I, you. I, you know, I, I listened to this album and think, you know, if this album had come out in like 1989 or 1979, you know, you guys would be. Oh, God. You'd be rolling into our arena instead of to clubs you know and it's it's just unfortunate um i think for everybody those days are gone but you know i started you, you I do so see too. you do see a kind of a resurgence of you know some younger flat-out rock bands in the united states these days which is encouraging you know you see the greta van fleets and, and some of those other yes. bands that are you know yeah. selling out nice size venues very quickly and it, it breathes a little bit of hope for for those of us who love you know a good drummer a good bass player and some kick-ass guitar that you know we're not going to have to be uh, listening to people play music on their macintosh forever no i was just going to say that um i think it has to come around to live rock music again i mean it, mm-hmm. it will come back i don't know how anyone will make any money from it but it will it has to fall into favor again i'm, I'm sure of it it's just got to be the backlash from all this macintosh music i agree yeah, I, I don't like I said I don't know what the, the solution is. I mean, it, it you know I, it's sad, but I think you know a lot of times musicians have been relegated to being t-shirt salesmen. But um, you know you leave leave a show with such an energy from catching a great band that hopefully that doesn't die off, and, and you know younger bands no. like yourself uh, can keep that ball rolling, and you know hopefully we'll see a resurgence in this kind of stuff because. You know, I think a record like yours is exactly what the record industry needs. So, wow, thank you so much for saying that. That's that's great. Thank you. Well, Tracy, I want to thank you again. Um, the new album Spiritus is available now. I'm, I'm sure it's on iTunes, Amazon, all that great stuff. Um, and hopefully, we'll get you guys back in uh, to Pittsburgh for too long. I know you were just here, but we'll hope to see you again very soon. All right. Thank you so much. I look forward to meeting you. Thanks, John. They said it couldn't happen again. Rob Zombie. Marilyn Manson. Twins of Evil Tour. The Second Coming. July 25th. Key Bank Pavilion. Tickets are on sale now at LiveNation.com. Marilyn Manson. Rob Zombie. Two icons. One sinister night. Part of the Bordis and Bordis concert series. All right, again, a thank you to Tracy Hightop of the band Jane Lee Hooker out of New York City. Hopefully we'll get to see them in Pittsburgh before uh, too long. They were just here uh, just a few weeks before I did the interview with them, and uh, hopefully we get them back in town real soon. And again, you can pick up their newest album spiritus uh, is available now so it's a it's a great blues rock album all right we're going to turn our attention now finally to uh, a guest who's now this is his third annual appearance on the show damian darlington of brit floyd who will be coming in to do their annual uh, two nights at the benedict center on the 12th and the 13th always a packed house for the pink floyd shows in pittsburgh uh, really kind of the one of the top uh, drawing tribute acts really in the United States and really around the world, the band that has 
just an insane touring cycle, as I kind of joke with Damien. It seems like they uh, take a break, just open Christmas presents, and get on to the next tour uh, for the next year. So we're going to talk to Damien about what's new for 2018, and uh, we'll catch you on the other side.
welcome back to Iron City Rocks. We have Damien Darlington of Brick Floyd joining us on the line. How are you doing today? I'm very good, thanks. Great. You um, guys took what seemed to be about a week off between the 2017 and the 2018 tour. Um, no rest for the wicked. Um, and you'll be coming back into Pittsburgh to do kind of you know, what's obviously become an annual thing at the Benham Center on the 12th and the 13th. Um, can you talk to us about what you know what we can expect different from the 2017 tour? Uh, well, there's a there's quite a different set list. You know, every ta- every year when we come out with the tour, we we like to change things up, uh, bring new songs into the set list that we haven't done before, or or, or bring ones back that we haven't done in some years. And, and this year is no exception. You know, we have uh, uh, about four tracks that we've never put performed before as Brit Floyd in this set list. Uh, and uh, and some that we haven't performed since like you know 2013 or or, or something like that, so it'll be quite a different show uh, that people will get to see compared with last year or the year before. Yeah, I mean, is it seem the the, the you know the kind of the Pink Floyd audience kind of drives you guys to keep the show not just you know the amount of times you tour on it, but the you know the the fan base of of Pink Floyd's music uh, kind of almost demands that you get the you know the B-side tracks, the deep album cuts. Is that kind of your impression? I, oh, to a certain extent, yeah. There, there's a lot of very passionate fans of this of this music out there. Very knowledgeable fans as well. Who, who, you know, familiar with all of Pink Floyd's catalog. So we we do like uh, like to do our best to represent all eras of Pink Floyd's music and and sort of go go for some of the deeper cuts if you want to describe them as that in the set list but, but, but there's a balance to be struck though we certainly there are there are tracks that you're certainly going to play all of the time sure. you know, things like Wish You Were Here uh, Comfortably Numb Another Brick in the Wall etc you know but the, the, the balance is to the, the trick is to get that balance correct you know between the greatest hits and, 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 the, and the deeper cuts off some of these albums Damien, can you give us kind of a sense when when you say, okay, we're going to introduce a song we haven't played as Brit Floyd before, just the, the amount of time that goes into, you know, arranging, getting all the, the sequencers and synthesizers to make the right sounds and the tones and, and the video screens and how, just how much work is involved in saying, okay, we're going to throw a new track in. Um, there's, I mean, there's plenty of work behind the scenes that goes into preparing for for playing these songs and for you know for putting uh, doing them up on stage and having all the production to to mm-hmm. go with them in the right way, um, you know yes it, it, you've got to learn the songs that's that in some ways that's the easy part sure. uh, you know you've got to program the right guitar sounds the right keyboard tones all these sorts of things because Pink Floyd was such a uh, a, a revolutionary band in many ways in the right. way they did things in the recording studio and no no two albums sound the same they were always changing their sounds David Gilmour was always evolving as a guitar player and like getting trying out new effects on every every album every record so you know to recreate all of that consistently throughout um uh, you know, throughout the catalogue of Pink Floyd's music is is a challenge, and then of course on top of that, you know, we, we, we've got a very elaborate light show and video projections and lasers and all the rest of it. So all all of that takes time uh, and a certain amount of expertise to uh, to program and to get ready for the show. Yeah, I mean, I think that's some sometimes the blessing and the curse of, of the projection screens is that you you know you don't you you've got to play almost to the video. Um, you know, and the lasers and everything has to be in such timing. You know, you don't have the ability to kind of go off on an Allman Brothers type of jam, um, per se. Um, and also, it's kind of unforgiving in that, you know, if, if you don't have just the right synthesizer sound, you know, even on some of the ambient stuff in between songs, those fans know, you know, you, you can't cheat uh, and just, you know, use something pre recorded. Um, do you use uh, when you're on the road as, as a guitarist? Do you use like a fractal device, or how do you manage to get all those different Gilmore tones? Um, yeah, I certainly have. Um, I've got an Axe FX2 sort of at the, the, the heart of my guitar rig, you know, made by Fractal Audio. Um, but I've also got some you know, Boss and Roland devices I've been using for many years now, and I still find a use for them in the set list. So. Um, I, 
you, there's two sort of schools of thought about doing this. You can go down the road of getting all the authentic mm-hmm. traditional gear, you know, the amps and the, the, the effects pedals that we used back in the day, but to, to sort of get the variety of sounds that Gilmore created in the studio over the years, it would be very difficult to do it that way. So it, it, it is much more convenient and much more sort of tool-worthy tool to, to use sort of modern processing equipment where you can just get so many different possibilities within one box to recreate mm-hmm. all these sounds. Yeah, it's got to be a lot safer transporting that, you know, from, a, you know, the wrong tube breaks in, in transport and your, you know, 1960s Marshall head is going to be worthless, but at least, you know, the fractal probably transports a little safer. Um do you um are there particular songs at this point i mean you you guys have been at this for quite a while is there a song that you wouldn't mind taking out of the set but you know you you couldn't get away with taking out you mentioned you know wish you were here and and breaking the wall and things like that is there a song maybe that you wouldn't mind setting out a tour um well yeah that's, that's sort of a difficult question to answer without me sort of becoming a bit sacrilegious about yeah yeah i'm asking but, which which <laughs> child do you like least <laughs> kind of yeah, exactly. Um, I, you know, th- I mean, we do we do sort of give songs a rest occasionally. You know, uh, you know, like money, for example, is a song that you know we've we've chosen to leave out of a set list for a, for a year or, or something like that, even though it's like one of their most well known songs. You know, mm-hmm. so th- there are there are certain ones. Even shine on um, part one to five, we didn't do it last year, although we did do shine on part six to seven. You know, the later. Right. Um, uh, the version of that that track, you know. So uh, you, you, the, the the thing is, like, there's we do a long set list. It's two and a half hours, but even even within that, you can't do everything. So you know, something has to give somewhere sure. along the line if you want to change it up every year and you want to sort of freshen it up and bring new tracks in. Now, the the tracks that are or maybe maybe the hits, if you if you want to call them that, do you does it help the audience reaction sometimes to maybe break up the monotony of playing those songs? You know, the, you know some of those ones you can't take out. Um, does that audience kind of adrenaline translate to you guys to help you, you know, kind of get motivated to play some of those particular songs? Um, definitely. I mean, that, that's what it's all about, quite frankly, mm-hmm. is when you get up there on stage, it's all about feeding off the audience reaction. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what helps. That's a big part of what helps to keep it fresh and keep it exciting and interesting for ourselves as musicians. Even though, even though we play this music, you know, uh, year after year, it still it never stops being exciting to step on stage in front of a few thousand people and 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 see them in, enjoying and being entertained by sure. what you do. You know, and that's the key to it. Um, now, you guys do, and maybe it's just my perception, but I mean. I'm guessing you do hundreds of shows a year, correct? Um, well, last year was, I think, was our sort of record. We did on 146 shows, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, last year, and that's the most we've done uh, in in a single year. Where in 2017 did the preparations for 2018 begin? You know, you know, because you couldn't wait until 2017 was over. I mean, you were playing almost up until Santa Claus. It seemed like got here I mean how far back did you go um, I suppose it, it, it's about September you know okay. when you really you start thinking about next year's set list uh, putting it together and, and you know, certainly from the musicians point of view we were all Mm-hmm. sort of thinking about learning any new songs and who was going to play which part and who was going to sing which song etc etc you know um, throughout the, the fall period uh, of touring uh, but you know the, the, the actual sort of lighting and video side of things that that that's, comes a bit later um, you know that, that didn't really start till the beginning of the new year to, okay. to prepare for that so um but, but yeah, as musicians, we tend to sort of like focus on it earlier than than the rest of the the crew do when it sure. comes to what they have to produce. Do you guys then get to work on some of that stuff maybe in a sound check in the in the later fall? You know, some of the new material. Um, not not really. No, it, it, it's very much a case of that. You know, if you sort of do the groundwork early on, you know, right. everybody knows exactly what they've they've got to go away and learn. You know that. They're, they're sort of doing it in their own time and then we we, we get together for the rehearsal period um, you know 
with with in the months leading up to the tour and by that point everybody as individual musicians is prepared sure. you know to and they can we can turn up together and pretty much play these songs almost straight away i would say if, if everybody's done their homework correctly yeah, I mean that's. I just look. You know, you look at. You think of of a normal band with the touring cycle. Now, this is obviously the music industry has changed a little bit. But even Pink Floyd, you know, you do the do the marathon tour, go away, make new songs. You know, kind of work out those songs and then go back on the road. You guys don't get nearly the break. You know, you're kind of, you know, taking a little tiny break at the beginning of the year to recharge your batteries. But then I'm assuming you have dates probably lined up for the rest of 2018. Um, you know, is there secrets to you know keeping your voice? I mean, that's one thing that you know, for you as a singer, I mean, the, your voice with a two and a half hour show. Now, Grant, you don't sing all the songs, but you know, you're singing you know a, a nice the lion's share there, uh, and so many nights and for so long. Is there things you do to keep the voice in top shape? You just you've just got to be sensible. You know, if, if it's if you've got a, a gig the next day, you don't want to don't want to overindulge. You don't want to drink too much. You don't want to talk too much or shout or things like this. Uh, you've just. I mean, I don't I don't sort of like uh, really really sort of seriously. Um, uh, you know, I'm not on some regime where I'm being over the top about protecting my voice. But there are sort of sensible. Um, obvious things you should do to to protect your voice when mm. you're singing this many uh, nights a year, but, but also I think part of it is is just because I've been doing it this intensively for so long, I've yeah. I've got a certain level of stamina as yeah. a singer, you know. So fortunately, and um, I don't I don't personally don't seem to suffer from problems where I'm I'm struggling with my voice, you know. Touch wood, touch wood, you, you know, uh, to uh, to this point. Right. Is your is your natural singing voice similar in register to you know the capabilities of David, or do you have you know obviously a decent amount of overlap? But are there parts of his voice you have to kind of struggle with? Um, there, there are things he can do which I you know I I physically can't do. Mm-hmm. I'm 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 a more as a singer I'm more appropriate for the the, the more youthful David Gilmore. I'm mm-hmm. I'm not so good at the more the mature one. You know I mean that Ian the uh, Ian Cattell the bass mm-hmm. player in the band who who tends to sing the Roger Waters parts can also do uh, um, the more the sort of division bell momentary lapse of reason era era of david gilmore's voice more convincingly than i can but you know when you're talking about older stuff like wish you were here and us and them and time my voice uh, is more appropriate for that do you guys ever consider branching into either david or roger's solo material or is that really not in the scope of what you want to do we we thought about it, you know, doing like a Roger Waters track and <coughs> excuse me, a Roger Waters track and a a, a um, David Gilmore track in the set. But at the at the end of the day, you just sort of end up thinking, well, if we do that, it just means there are two Pink Floyd tracks we can't do. And at the yeah. end of the day, we're it's a Pink Floyd show, you know. It's, it's, yeah. uh, that's that's sort of what's on the tin and <laughs> where the name. Right. We've, we've, we've yeah. not done it as yet. Oh, excellent. Okay, well, uh, Damien, I want to thank you so much again. You're coming in. You guys are doing uh, two nights. You're doing the 12th and the 13th, the Thursday and Friday night here in April in Pittsburgh. It'll be wonderful to see you guys kind of on your annual pilgrimage uh, into Pittsburgh, and we uh, wish you safe travel in. Okay. Well, thanks very much. It was nice talking to you, and I'm looking forward to uh, coming back to Pittsburgh. All right, that about wraps up this episode of Iron City Rocks. A big thank you to Tracy from Jane Lee Hooker, Joe Grishecki, and also Damien Darlington of Britt Floyd. Again, Britt Floyd will be in uh, Pittsburgh to do two shows at the Benetton Center on the 12th and the 13th. Hopefully we'll have Jane Lee Hooker back uh, doing some shows in Pittsburgh before long. And Joe Grishecki, uh, almost always in Pittsburgh, you can catch him and doing uh, a bunch of shows in the area. Uh, you can check out jogashecki.com for that information. You can visit our website at ironcityrocks.com. We are on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter are all forward slash ironcityrocks. We also invite you to check out our Facebook page for information on a way you could help us. We have, um, over the last nine years, put a lot of time and energy into promoting Pittsburgh, uh, getting bands uh you know, on the radar so that you know shows are coming, get you interested for shows, uh, help 
get exposure for local bands as well as national bands on the show. So we're asking if you have a moment of your time to visit our Facebook page again, facebook.com forward slash Iron City Rocks. Uh, and if you look through the posts over the last few days, there's a, uh, a link to nominate us for best local podcast in Pittsburgh for the Pittsburgh City Paper. We'd invite you uh, and urge you, if you would, to take the time to consider nominating Iron City Rocks. Uh, really would help get exposure to the show out, help build the audience, and uh, keep the show going and um, bring you the best possible content we can. So appreciate it if you have the time. And until next time, we want to thank you so much for taking the time to listen. <laughs>